All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we're going to cover Leviticus 15 through 17, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, 15 through 17. Now this Wednesday, for those of you who come on Wednesday nights, we'll be having our Wednesday night service out at the camp. That's the kickoff for the camp, so um, we're going to have our service around the campfire out there at Mazingo Camp. If you need to know where that is, just, I guess I can let you know, you go out to Mazingo and you take a right and a right and a right. That's how it works, so... Yeah, follow the signs. It'll say camp on it. So big white signs with red letters that say camp. And so you'll find us and we'll start regular time, 7 o'clock. So that's where we'll be this Wednesday. If you come here and you don't want to go there, just pray in your car and enjoy your evening. But that's that's where we'll be. Please pray for the camp this week that it goes as God wants it to, that um, again, he's lifted up, and, 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 and uh, the kids come to know him and a little closer to him, and that his word is shared, and they enjoy it uh, and get it and understand it. That's our big thing, you know. You get kind of used to teaching a certain way, and then when you're in front of kids, you kind of, I do anyway, have to switch gears a little bit and uh, make sure that I teach it in a way that they can understand it, you know. And so I uh, pray that for all the teachers and all, and then also for fun and safety, you know, for for the whole week. Lots of things can go wrong, and we've been blessed uh, by God so far that we've had no serious accidents. One counselor, though, we did have a broken leg. So, um, like I said, that ruins our record, doesn't it, I guess? I can't, can't say that anymore. But that's what's going on this week. Two weeks from now, we'll be having a, a, a baptism out at Mazingo after second service, uh, the, the Sunday after camp. Uh, not well. That's that's the wrong way to put it. Not this next Sunday, but the Sunday after. This is 16th, I believe. I think. So that day, we're having a baptism out there. If you want to get baptized, let me know. We have four so far. So if you want to be baptized, we'd be glad to do it. Um, and uh, that'll be a good day too. Um, today, after second service, we're doing some kind of sports thing at I think Beal. They're going to play baseball or kickball or something like that down there. And of course, there's tennis courts and all that for everybody else. If you're not interested in baseball, so. That's today, around, what, 3? I'm looking at my girls because the girls are, yeah. So like around 3, I think, is what we're planning on. Okay, nothing says 4th of July than chapter 15 where we talk about bodily discharges. <laughs> Been looking forward to this all week. Okay. Yep. <laughs> this ain't no good way to do this, guys. Um. Honestly, and, and I, 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 this had to be taught. I mean, this had to be written because of sin, because sin entered the world. And this is really God's protection and provision for keeping us safe and, and, and guarded underneath this sin that, we, that they lived in and, and live, we live in to this day. This world is corrupted. Everything's gone south ever since uh, Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, and, and uh, this is just protective measures. A lot like when God had the animal skins for Adam and Eve instead of the fig leaves. They had their own idea about what they should do about these issues, and God said, no, those, that's not going to work. Um, <laughs> fig leaves dry out, guys. You need something a little more durable. So, and, and, of course, he was also pointing to the lamb sacrifice of Jesus Christ in the future. So, um, had to wear the skins. And so really chapter 15 is about that. What do we do when these things happen? And um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it this morning in chapter 15. I'm going to briefly go over some things. But it is about discharges. And what do you do when you've got a running sore and things like that? 
and just some basic uh, hygiene to stop the spread of infection, really. None of these things are uh, sin. That, that's important. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a symptom of sin in their lives, um, as is any kind of decay, uh, is a symptom of sin and, and, and death that's entered the world. This is uncleanness in the sense that you need to stay away from people for your sake until evening, and then afterwards you can come back in, or after this is done happening to you, come back into the camp. But for protection, we don't want anybody else catching what you have, basically. So that's, that's where he's coming from. So chapter 15, verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. Unclean doesn't mean sinful, but it does mean contagious, and it's not good to be around or other people, and so on. And this shall be his uncleanness in regard to his discharge, whether his body runs with a discharge or his body is stopped up by his discharge. It is his uncleanness. And then he talks about the things you must do. Every bed you've ever touched, that's unclean. That needs to be purified. Um, any kind of clothing you've wear, worn during this time period, that needs to be clean. And doesn't it make sense, obviously, now that we know a little bit more about uh, you know, medicine and, and how things spread and diseases and bacteria and viruses? Perfect sense. This is what you do. You clean things. You wash things. Clorox, you know. When, when the flu's gone through your house, what do you do? Well, you Lysol everything. Throw away the toothbrushes. And boy, you go to town on those bathrooms to make sure... We don't reintroduce this into our family again. That's all this is. That's all he's talking about here. Now, he talks about all the things that need to be taken away and all the things that need to be washed and bathing with water and you're unclean till evening and so on. 16 and 17 talk about a specific kind of discharge that since this is the supposed to be the family service, I don't see too many little ones here, but I, I'm going to avoid this. You guys can read that one on your own. Uh, 16 and 17, and then 18 also has to do with a specific discharge that you need to pay attention, especially, obviously, if you're married, um, and so on. Now, these things were all shared and, and taught without them knowing. They didn't know why they were supposed to do this. This isn't what they would normally do back in pagan life, back in before walking with the Lord life. This isn't what we normally do. Normally, we rub sand in it. You're saying water, you know, kind of thing. I'm making that up. I don't know what they did beforehand, but this is new to them. They're having to take this by faith. This is a common principle, even in this situation, that although God's word is very clear and he's very demanding on what you should do and, and you must follow these things, they didn't know why they were following these things. They just had to do it. And I think that's important. I, I get a little nervous. I'm not one of those guys that gets too excited when medicine finally proves the Bible right, or archaeology finally proves that the Bible's been right all the time. See, I've always believed the Bible's right. I don't have a problem with it. I've never had any doubts about where Jericho is or any of these things. It's exactly where God says it is, and if we haven't figured that out yet, that's our own problem. So when they get excited about these things, I think, well, that's great. We have sight now to something we had to take by faith, and that's not exciting to me. I like to walk by faith. I like to believe God at his word. I believe him all the way to the cross. I think if you get into the habit of waiting for the physical proof, for the spiritual truth, you're going to be in trouble because you're never going to know for sure whether Christ is sufficient for your sins until after you're dead. And if there are those who get into that habit of waiting for archaeology to figure out the Bible or for medicine to figure out the Bible, they may also wait for the 
proof to show that Christ and him dying on the cross is sufficient for their sins, and then it's too late. So I like walking by faith. I like that God causes them to, you know what, I'm not going to explain to you bacteria and viruses. I'll give you that wisdom later on, but for now, I want you to do it because I said so. Because I love you. I want you to trust me. I want you to know that I'm really, really wise, and I know more than you do, and I'm out to protect you, and so just do what I tell you to do, and you're going to have, it's going to be much better for you down there. I like that, and I want to live that way. I don't ever want to change. And so when I read chapter 15, that's kind of some of the things I get out of it. It's like, cool. He's telling them stuff that we know for sure now through medicine that we've seen under a microscope. We've seen these things work. We understand how they work. But if we never had the microscope, if we never had that wisdom given to us, if we'd still follow just what the Bible said, we'd still be okay. We'd still be okay. So anyway, um, he goes on then to a woman's discharge that she has in a monthly time period and goes through that uh, situation of her being unclean. It's not sin. It's just a time when you need to abstain and stay away and, and, and make sure you wash up afterwards kind of thing. But chapter, verse, chapter 15, verse 25 is important. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days other than at the time of her customary impurity, or if it runs beyond her usual time of impurity, all the days of her unclean discharge shall be as the days of her customary impurity. She shall be unclean. In other words, it's not a time issue, it's an event issue. Okay? And then not until that event stops are you made clean again through the ritual of washing and so on. So just because your time is up, but you're still having that event, means you're still unclean. And so don't, you don't go by that. And there's a lot of ways to apply that to our spiritual walk too, but um, I want to focus on this because this is what's happening in Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. When the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years, this is her right here, following the law, it says, every bed on which she shall lie all the days of her discharge shall be to her as a bed of her impurity, and whatever she sits on shall be unclean, as the uncleanness of her impurity. Whoever touches those things shall be unclean. He shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. That's what this woman lived for or lived like for 12 years. I think it's important to know that. Why she was so bold to reach out and touch the hem of the garment of the rabbi as he walked by hoping, knowing that if I could just reach out and touch him, I will be made clean again. I know I'll be made pure. And when she does, Jesus feels the power go out of him, he said. He turns around to this crowd that's been pressing on him. She thought she'd snuck in, touched the hem of his garment, but he felt that event, turned around and looked and said, who touched me? And of course, his disciples said, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you, Jesus, is the idea. He's like, no, 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 I felt power go out of me. I felt it. And she admit, she owned up to it. She goes, I'm sorry. I did it. See, she knew what the law said about somebody touching her and making them impure. But she was so desperate, she was willing to do it and hoping nobody would notice. She was willing to defile the rabbi in order to get healed. Of course, what did Jesus do? Don't touch me. That's against the law. It is, isn't it? It's against the law. What's Jesus supposed to do right now? Jesus is supposed to take off his garments, go wash them, go outside the camp, and he's supposed to be unclean until evening. He doesn't do that. Why? Because she's made whole. And here's the thing. Whether she was made whole when Jesus touched her or not, 
the whole crowd knows she was unclean. Therefore, when she touched him, she was unclean. And he was unclean then, so he still has to follow through unless it's as if she never had the issue of blood. It's important. Because if she never had the issue of blood, if it's that kind of healing, it's, if it's not just a stopping of what's been going on, but a complete and total healing as if there is no evidence of her ever having this problem ever, then he doesn't have to do any of that because he hasn't been defiled because she's been completely clean. Do you get where I'm going with this? With our sin, when we come to Christ with our sin, when we confess our sin to him, when we acknowledge him as our Lord and Savior, it's as if we've never sinned. He's cleaned us that much. We haven't defiled him. We haven't hurt him. We haven't done anything to him. He's cleansed us so well that we're completely sinless. It's as if we've never sinned. That's what justified means. That's what sanctified means. That's what these words mean. It's as if you've never sinned. That's amazing. Not just a clean slate. Not just a do-over. Not just an eraser. But it's as if it's never happened. As far as the east is from the west, so your sin has been separated from you, it says in Psalm 103. It's a beautiful thing. And here we see a picture of this and what that woman had to go through in Matthew 9, verse, beginning in verse 20. And you can read that on your own. Now, skip ahead to verse 31. Thus you shall separate the children of Israel from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness when they defile my tabernacle that is among them. This is the law for one who has a discharge and for him who emits semen and is unclean thereby. I don't know why I'm uncomfortable. I'm just, I hope we're all uncomfortable right there. I don't know why. I just can't say that word at church. And for her who is in, indisposed because of her customary impurity, and for one who has a discharge, either man or woman, and for him who lies with her who is unclean. These are the rules. These are what I want you to follow. They're not negotiable. I want you to do these things, God says. Trust me on this. Trust me on this. Now, chapter 16, much better. Not better, easier for me. He doesn't have a problem with it. He wrote it, but for me. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. Remember when they died, they offered that, well it says here, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Now, we're starting something here called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. One day out of the year, the high priest would go in and make atonement for the people and go into the Holy of Holies. Remember, the tabernacle's broken up into two rooms. You've got the holy place where they would go in daily and offer up prayers in front of that altar of incense. But the Holy of Holies was on the other side of that 10-inch thick curtain where the Ark of the Covenant was. That one time a year, you could go on that side of the curtain kind of an interesting time, but it was the time to uh, plead for the sins of the nation, to offer up a sacrifice for the sins of the whole nation, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Um, And so that's what he's talking about. Now, Aaron, before you go over there, remember your sons who offered profane fire to me. They thought they could come at any time. And of course, there was a lot of other issues with those boys that we read about. They thought they could come at any time. You can't. You have to come at the appointed time, at my time, when I say. Worshiping God is awesome, but we do it as in a prescribed manner. We follow God's design, what he's asked for. We don't get to do it on our terms, when we want to do it, when we feel like it. It's, a, it's according to his will, not our will. 
It's always important to remember that, I think, as I walk with the Lord and as I grow and I read His Word, is I need to worship God according to His way, not my way that I think He might like someday. You know, When I, when I buy my wife flowers, I, I don't buy them very often anymore, but when I did buy my wife flowers, I, sometimes I do. I'm not a bad guy. It's just, she's just like, okay, uh, I appreciate them, but that's like 50 bucks, you know? And we see things a little differently now that we're older. You know, we're a little more practical, I think. I don't know, it's a bad thing to get. Don't fall into that if you're young. And a, anyway, when I do buy her flowers, I get the kind she likes. You know, I don't get the kind I like. Look, I got you a dozen birds of paradise. Some of the ladies will laugh because you know what they look like. They're these kind of funny Hawaiian things that just pointy and angular. I'm like, it looks like a real bird. That's really cool. But they're not exactly, well, they're kind of pretty, but they're not super pretty. Roses. Daisies, black-eyed Susans, uh, things like that. That's what she likes. But I don't get her what I like. They're flowers, right? And they're pointy and really sharp and kind of bird-looking, you know? And I'll stare at them all day long and she'll be like, oh, it's great. I just want to really stick my nose in a bouquet of birds of paradise, you know? And so if I do that for my wife and I think about her needs and her wants and what she desires from me, not what I think she should get from me, well, I'll have a better marriage, won't I? And that's the idea with God. God has specific things he likes, specific things he doesn't. And he tells him that much. Don't just come any time. I have an appointed time. I want you to come in. It's on this day I want you to do this. And why? Because Christ came at an appointed time. It wasn't two years before. It wasn't two years after. It wasn't negotiable. Jesus, even while he was walking on the earth, even told his mom the first time she asked him to do a miracle, she says, he says, Mom, it's not my time. I mean, close enough. I mean, we're within two years, Jesus. No, it's not my appointed time. It's very specific. And of course, since all the Old Testament foreshadows and points to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, it has to follow that. The Day of Atonement is literally a day prescribed by God for his son to show up and die on the cross for our sins. So don't get any ideas, Aaron, about coming anytime you want or more often than I want. You come once. You don't come repeatedly. You don't come week after week. You come once because Christ died once for all. Very important, very important. And so he says all this to him. I want you to do this. Now, God has told us, if you turn to John chapter 4, verse 19, even now with our worship, there's specific ways he wants to be worshipped. He meets this woman at the well. Great story. Wonderful encounter with this Samaritan woman. And as they're going back and forth, and he's been talking about giving him some water, and she's been kind of flirting with him a little bit, not knowing who he was. She finds out later on she shouldn't have been, kind of. But she's kind of, go. they're going back and forth here. And she gets a little defensive, finding out where he's from and, and, and all. And, and uh, um, he, he tells her, you know, if you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink, you'd ask him for a drink, kind of thing. And he's been kind of leading up to this. And the woman finally gets to this question in verse 19 after she's been confronted with her sin. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Well, they didn't say that. God did. It's it's at the temple. That's where you're supposed to worship. But we've been worshipping over here because we're Samaritans, and we can't go down there and worship because we're kind of a mixed group mixed Jewish and, and others here, and I, 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 we can't go down there. So she's offended by him. And you guys say we can't come into the temple. 
So we worship up here. So which is it? Down there or up here? You're a prophet of God. Which is okay? Which isn't? And of course, Jesus says something here to her. Woman, believe me. He wants, you, he wants her to believe him. The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, or what we, we know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So he said it three times there. You've got to worship God in spirit and truth. You can't worship him any other way. You can't worship him in the flesh. You can't worship him as you are. You have to worship him in spirit, first of all, but also in truth. Those two must go hand in hand. You must have the truth of God. That's his word. That's the Bible. But you also have to worship him in spirit. You've got to have both, not just one. One. You've got to have them both. And so he tells her that. Now, that's exciting for her, but we don't want to read that and come away from that and say, oh, okay, so then we can worship anywhere. We're going to take care of that in chapter 17 of Leviticus. It isn't okay just to go worship as you see fit, even though he said you're not going to worship here or there. It's not about location. But he is going to say it's about worshiping with people. It is worshiping with people. Okay, and we'll get to that in a minute here. But that's the idea here. I want you to worship me when I tell you to. Likewise, even in the New Testament with our walk with Jesus, you must worship me, not here or there. There is no temple anymore. But you must worship me in spirit and truth as I've prescribed. That has to be followed. Now, he describes Aaron and what he's supposed to do with this sin offering for himself. Uh, Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with the linen turban. So he's going to wear all the stuff he's supposed to wear. Then he's going to take, um, and, and, and he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take, so he's got to get himself right before he can offer up sacrifices for other people. So I've got to worry about my own sin first. Now I can take care of the, the rest of the congregation of Israel. And he shall take two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle um, of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. There's where we get that word scapegoat. Okay, we're going to offer up one of them and the other one's going to be the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. So whichever one is God's, that's the one that gets offered. And then the other one is the scapegoat. Okay, interesting. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals from the, of the fire, from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. That's when he goes on the other side. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, 
and the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony lest he die. So it's going to be filled with smoke. The whole place will be. The whole upper area will be just you know clouded with smoke. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side, and before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat before the mercy seat, so he shall make atonement for the holy place. Because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgression for all their sins, and so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. In other words, when they pack this thing up and they set it up, everybody's grummy hands have been all over it, so we've got to cleanse it. Okay, It's been touched by you. Just like we talked about in 15, although you're not necessarily the, the sinner, you've touched someone who has that impurity, and so therefore you've picked that up. Likewise, the tabernacle, although didn't do anything wrong, was in contact, and so therefore needs to be cleansed. And that's the idea behind this. There should be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it, and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. So the high priest gets himself clean because he needs to represent Jesus Christ, our high priest, who was sinless. Once that is taken care of, he can now stand in the place of Christ or look like Christ and go in and then make atonement for the people. Okay, And that's what we've done. That's why Christ ascended into heaven, broke through the blue barrier and got to God, basically, on our behalf. And once he did that into the Holy of Holies, he declares us clean, clean, we're there. So that veil's been ripped from top to bottom. Our access to heaven, our access to God, is made through this high priest, Jesus Christ. That's the idea here. Um, So we've got to make this picture look right. Now, verse 20. And when he has made an end of the atoning of the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring the live goat... Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. There's the picture of our sin being separated from us as far as the east is from the west, uninhabited. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 12. That's what that's a picture of. They would wait outside for this to happen. Of course, the high priest goes in and they're, they're excited because this is the day of Yom Kippur. This is the day of atonement. They're trying to see if he comes out and says, all clean, all clean. And here he comes, lays his hands on the scapegoat, and they've made this sort of like a, a, a trough or a, 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 a path through this great crowd of people all the way outside. And when that goat comes down the stairs, after he's laid his hands on him, there they are yelling at the goat. And the poor goat's running for its life, doesn't have any place to go but down the path they've made until it reaches the gate and they just shoo it all the way out. See ya. There's a huge celebration and they would cheer and, oh, this is great. Yeah, you know, there goes our sins. They would celebrate and celebrate and celebrate that day of atonement. 
how exciting that was. Now you understand when someone comes to Christ, how heaven breaks forth in cheering. Their sins have been separated from them as far as the east is from the west. Bye, you know, and hello at the same time. What a great day. What a great day. We don't do stuff like that. Maybe we should start doing stuff like that, you know. I think we forget the pageantry of all this and the excitement. It's just a ritual. It's just foreshadowing. Nothing's actually happening. It's all telling us of what Christ would do. But boy, if we'd never studied Leviticus 16, we'd never understand the impact that Christ has made on our lives. So maybe we ought to do that sometimes, make a line of people all the way out there and yell at some poor animal. You know, I don't know. I, that poor goat didn't know what to do. It's kind of funny, unless you like goats, and then it's not funny. But hey, the goat gets to go free. It didn't get the other lot. That guy's not doing so well. And likewise, Christ took our sins upon himself, and he bore the penalty for us, and now our sins are separated from us. What a great picture for us to understand what Christ has done. Okay, so um, then they go on, and, and uh, uh, he offers up the sacrifices, and they bathe, and they wash, and they get all the blood off themselves, and they, they do all the things they're supposed to do. And he says in verse 29, This shall be a statute forever for you. Uh, on the 10th day of the 7th month. So it's not really our July 10th, but it's, it's okay. We can call it July 10th, you know, so it's coming up here, Yom Kippur, but it's a different day, actually. Their, their months don't really exactly coincide with ours, so it's different. Um, but anyway, it's the 7th month. On the 10th day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to, to, clear, to cleanse you, that you may be clear from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. This never ends. I want, it's forever. You know, so, some people like to, so they're still supposed to be doing this today. Well, you could say that. If they didn't believe in Jesus Christ as their Messiah, they should still be doing this today. They should still be uh, having this whole ceremony, but there's no temple in Israel anymore. They haven't been able to do this since the last one got destroyed, right after Jesus died, by the way. See, Jesus walked out of that temple after flipping the table and said, I leave you, your house to you, desolate. In other words, I'm not there anymore. We've departed. The, the glory of the Lord has departed from this place. Okay? And so when it gets destroyed, it's just a building. It just got destroyed. It was never meant to uh, be rebuilt and for it to start doing these sacrifices again because Jesus was all it was pointing to. This building, the sacrificial system, the Arianic priesthood, all of it was pointing to Christ and he's come. So that is completely done away with. It's no more now in the last days, which we're living in right now. The Antichrist will make an arrangement, will make a deal so that that Dome of the Rock is either removed or there's a wall built between it and they're going to rebuild that third temple there on top of that dome, on top of the place up there on, with the big argument. You know, they have that wailing wall that they go to over in Israel. That's just the retaining wall for the dirt. Really had no part of the temple. Really wasn't any part of the temple at all. It was just holding up the dirt so that the temple could be built on top there. But that's all they have left, and that's where they go to pray and to worship because they know they're supposed to be there. They're still drawn to that place. We're still supposed to be doing this unless they believed on Jesus for their salvation then neither here nor there do you worship. You worship in spirit and truth. Okay, And so that's where this all comes from, this Day of Atonement. That's why it's such a struggle for the nation of Israel. We're never going to give up Jerusalem. We've got to move the 
embassy to Jerusalem, they say. Move it from Tel Aviv. Get it into Jerusalem because that is our capital. That's nobody else's capital. That, you know, that's why we don't have our embassy there is because we don't want it to be considered Israel's capital because the rest of the world will go ballistic if we ever do it because that means we're declaring as the United States that that is their capital city. Can't do that. We're going to do that, hopefully, pretty soon, but um, they don't want to see that happen. That's the big fight. Okay, just so you understand the little political things that are going on today and around us right now. So Israel, fun to watch to see what's happening, you know. Uh, and where we're headed and where we are in the time frame of the last days. But we're getting close, getting closer. So, do all that. Now, chapter 17. Um, he switches to, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Whatever uh, man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or a lamb or goat in the camp, or who kills it, outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the off to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man big deal I don't want you sacrificing out there or over here or wherever you want to we've got a place now this is where it's done Noah Abraham uh uh, Adam, um, Cain, Abel, all those guys, they all sacrificed wherever they were, wherever. But that's what the pagans do now. The pagans do that. The pagans go out and worship wherever they feel like it and offer up whatever they want to do, and I don't want you looking like them. I don't want you looking like them. I have a place for you to worship. I have a place where I've decided to meet with you. This is where I want to meet with you. This is where we're going to meet. You don't go out and do whatever you want to do anymore. That was okay then, but now that we have a location, you can't. Very important. Follow me. Because although we have read that neither will you worship here or there, you're going to worship God in spirit or truth, he also says, I don't want you looking like the pagans out there worshiping wherever you want to. We've got a lot of nature worshipers. We've got a lot of people that do Wicca. They a lot of, you know, that's the good witchcraft. Apparently there's white and black witchcraft. Not really. Um, but they're out there doing their own thing and we're communing with nature and we're doing this and we're doing that. And we've got a lot of Christians joining them. Out there, sitting there, cross-legged on the ground, staring at a leaf or whatever they're doing out there. I'm worshiping God. I can beat with Him wherever. It's true you can. But what do you look like? Make sure you don't look like them then. Let's, let's worship God. Call out Jesus' name then or bring your Bible along or something. But please, uh, it's not okay. I don't want you to look like the rest of the people out there. In Acts 2.42, it says that when the church was started, they continued together in the breaking of bread and the fellowship, um, in the study of the scriptures together, in the, in the, in the apostles' um, teaching and in their doctrine. Um, they did all that together. Later on in Hebrews, it says in chapter 10, verse 25, don't forsake the assembling together of the brethren. Yeah, it's not about a location. It doesn't have to be here or there, but it is about the people. I do want it to be the body of Christ. I do want it to be together. I don't want a bunch of disjointed folks spread out all over the countryside. That's what the rest of the world does. They all look out for their best interests. They all look out for themselves. They don't like dealing with people. But in the body of Christ, it ought to be different. 
In the church, it needs to be together. You need to come together. You need to not forsake the assembling together of the brethren. You do need to continue in the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread and in prayers. You need to do that. It's important. It doesn't matter whether it's here or at a different church down the street. I'm not talking about that. We don't have enough seats for everybody to come here. So they can't come here. So there's got to be a lot of different churches. But you don't get to say, I just don't like those people at Calvary. I'm going to go worship God in spirit and truth at Mazingo by myself. No, you don't get to do that. I don't care if you leave our church. I mean, I do. I wish you wouldn't. But I know that I can't minister to everybody, and I offend people, and I don't like the way he teaches. His style bothers me. He's a little too loose and, and all that. And that's fine. I, that's, I, I'm not offended by that. But please find a place where you can get fed. Please find a place where you can fall under that authority and listen to the teaching of the Word of God and be able to receive from the pulpit. Please find a place. It's not an excuse to be a loner, a lone wolf. You need to go find another group of believers then, someplace. And some of you are from those places. Some of you have come from those churches, but you found a place. It's important. It's important. Stay with the believers here, there, or or anywhere, but it's about being together with the body of Christ, with the people. Very important. Don't separate yourself. That's an easy way to get picked off by Satan. To separate yourself from the pack, from the crowd, from the group, is an easy way to get picked off. The shepherds were constantly trying to keep the sheep together. They would constantly run away and fall into ditches and all that stuff. And that's why his rod and his staff, they comfort me, because they get me out of my problems. But if you stay with the Sheep, if you stay together, right next to the shepherd, it's a good place to be, a good safe place to be. So that was my little thing on this one. Don't go outside the camp. Don't do that. You bring the guilt upon yourself. You're going to get in trouble. Um, It says this. He continues on. He has shed blood. Remember he says that blood's going to be, he's going to bear the guilt of that bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood. And that man shall be cut off from among his people to the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the priests and offer them as a peace offering to the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and burn the fat uh, for a sweet aroma to the Lord. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons." after whom uh, they have played the harlot. This shall be a statute forever uh, for them throughout their generations. The, the problem is when you, when you can't worship here because you don't agree, that's, that happens. But find a place where you do agree then. It's biblical. It's following Scripture. Very important. But don't go out there and make God out to be who you want Him to be because that's when you fall into worshiping demons and someone who's not Christ, who says they're Jesus, but they're not a different gospel, a different spirit, a different Jesus. Paul was worried about that to the Corinthians. He said that. Don't worship a different Jesus, a different spirit, or fall and believe a different gospel. So stay there. Um, Also, you shall say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel or the stranger who dwells among you who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. In other words, it goes to everybody, guests included. Um, Got to be careful about that stuff. Um, it's amazing how our guests can get us to not do what we normally do. And we don't want to offend them. 
You know, I don't want to hurt their feelings. They're, they're from out of town, and, and I don't think I'm going to do what our family normally does on Sunday mornings or Wednesday evenings. I, I don't want to offend them. Christ is offensive to some. He's the smell of death to some, but he's our life. And I don't care who's at my house. We're going, you know. You can join us if you want to. We'd love to have you. But if not, the fridge is yours, whatever you want to do. But we'll be at church. We're going to worship our God. And uh, you're welcome to join. I can't believe you worship him on Wednesdays. You guys are really wacko. Yep, we're wacko. That's right. So um, let's finish up with... Verse 13, whatever man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust, for it is the life of all its flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of the flesh is in its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. Now, the reason I focus on that is because it's a, a very interesting thing Jesus said, and that was one of the most difficult things. Talk about a church split. He only had 70-plus people at the time, 70 disciples, and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And they're all like, ah. That goes against everything we've grown up with. That goes against everything we've been said. Not only is it human blood, you but it goes against everything we've been taught even about animal blood. That's all we do is hide blood around here. We drain blood, we pour out blood, we get rid of blood, we cover blood. We don't do anything with the blood. And you're saying, what? Yeah, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Of course, he's not speaking literally. And I think they understood that. It was just the way he said it. His phrasing was, uh, and they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And many left. The only ones that stayed were the twelve. The 12 apostles stayed, and Peter, Jesus looks at them and says, are you guys going to leave too? Is this too hard for you to understand? Guys, you want to talk about walking by faith. We have grown up with this year after year, generation after generation of not eating blood, and the new guy that I'm following, this new rabbi who can make fish just appear in nets and feeds 5,000 and does all these awesome things just told me I'm supposed to start eating blood and drinking flesh? This is a time to get out of the cult. I mean, you've got to put yourself in their position. Am I, what am I thinking? And seven, 70 disciples walked away from him and said, I can't do that. That goes against everything I've been taught. And Jesus is trying to explain something to him. Don't you understand? All of that is about this. It's about me. All that avoiding of the blood, that draining of the blood, you can't, have any part, you can't participate in that. You can't have anything to do with that. It's all about my blood being shed now. Now you do it. Now you have part with me. Now, because if you ate the blood of that animal, that means you're becoming one with that animal. If you eat the blood of anything, you're becoming one with it. I want you to be one with me. He wasn't talking about actually eating flesh, actually eating blood. That's never happened. That's never been documented. And he later on explains it to the 12 because he looks at them and says, are you going to leave too? And they said, Peter said, good for him. Finally, right, Peter? Always says something dumb. Not this time. He says, where shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? In other words, we don't have a clue what you're talking about either, but everything you've said so far just makes perfect sense and works. And I have to believe you by faith that what you're saying is 
It's exactly what I need to do. And they stayed. And because they stayed, they got the message later on that he's talking about the Spirit. It's about the Spirit. It's not about actually eating my flesh and drinking my blood. It has nothing to do with that. It's about the Spirit. It's about you've got to be partakers of me. You have to believe on me for salvation. I'm not talking about your physical sustaining. I'm talking about your spiritual well-being. You have to believe on me. You have to apply the blood of Jesus to your life. You have to, or you have no part in me, you see. This is an important, this verse 17, or chapter, yeah, chapter 17, this is what they were thinking when they heard that from Jesus. We can't do that. That's against the law. No, 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 no. I've fulfilled the law. Jesus has fulfilled the law. Okay, let's finish up. And every person who eats what died naturally, so this is roadkill, and what was torn by beasts, or something that died in the lot by itself or something. Who was telling me about how they torched all the pigs on the way into the, uh, on the they were loading up, up into, into, the, into, their, into their semi. What had happened was, what was it? Funny story, I know you want to hear it. Um, <laughs> unless you love animals, it's not so funny. But they had done something, they had to spray something down with gas, fuel to get something off of something. Gosh, I wish I could. Who was it that told me that story? They're not here, are they? One of you farmer rancher guys told me this. Anyway, they got done, and it all worked, and it worked. But then they hit this pig with the cattle prod. It arced. And they said, he said, then we sent three screaming pigs into the back. Of the, and he laughed and laughed. I'm like, oh, that's terrible. That's, that's terrible. We're going to eat them anyway. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess that's okay. I don't know why I told you that story, but... That would be one of those pigs that you don't take to market. You go ahead and take home and slaughter is what I'm getting at. It died of sort of natural causes, I guess. And every person, <laughs> if you're a vegan or a pita person, I'm sorry. I, I'm not, but it's funny. And every person who eats what died naturally or what was torn by beasts, whether he is a, nat- a, a native of your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then uh, he shall bear his guilt. And that's where we close today. That's where we close. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for oh, just uh, all the stuff we have to know from this Leviticus book, the things of the Levites, the things concerning the Levites, to understand what our guys were going through, those 12, to understand what the people were hearing when Jesus would teach Um, to understand the impact that your son has made uh, on the law and toward us. And we're so thankful for what he's done. Thank you for writing it all down for us, God. Thank you for giving us little bits. Every time we go through your word, we get a little bit more. We understand a little deeper, and we thank you for that. We know that's by your Holy Spirit. God, keep these things planted in our hearts, and we love you. Bless these guys as they go. Thank you for our nation, God. We pray this nation would always be a nation under God always under your authority, under your control, that you would be high and lifted up in this land constantly. And we are your people, and we will humble ourselves and pray, and we thank you for what you've given us. We do not take it for granted. We understand our freedom and our liberty, and all that you've blessed us with here is because of you, because we worship you. We thank you for that, God. Please don't displace us out of this land like you did all those who forsook you in the past. We want to stay. We want to worship you. Bring our land back, Lord, to revival. Let us all return to you, God. We thank you for this 4th of July, the day of our independence. Um, What a great day that is, God, to celebrate. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.